Hi friend, this is Alex McRobbs, founder of The Mindful Life Practice, and you're listening to the Sober Yoga Girl podcast. I'm a Canadian who moved across the world to the Middle East at age 23, and I never went back. I got sober in 2019, and I now live full-time in Bali, Indonesia. I've made it my mission to help other women around the world stop drinking, start yoga, and change their lives through my online Sober Girls Yoga community. You're not alone, and a sober life can be fun and fulfilling. Let me show you how. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sober Yoga Girls. I am really excited to be sitting here with Bobby Paydell. And Bobby is a yogi. She is also sober. She has just passed her four year sober anniversary and also is from Canada, but lives an international life overseas. And I'm really excited to hear more about your journey and your story and how you got to this point in your journey. So, hey, Bobby, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm super excited to be here and just love connecting in this kind of yoga, sober, high vibe space. So thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. It's awesome to have you. And so you are currently in Calgary, you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my parents live on a cattle ranch, like a couple hours outside of Calgary. So I've just come back to the ranch and sort of re- sussing out the Canadian life after quite a while away. So it's nice to be back. But like, I know we're similar in that way. It's good to bounce back. But then it's always priority to get back out on the adventure. Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. And is that where you grew up? Did you grow up on um, the cattle ranch? Yeah, so actually, this was my grandparents ranch. So my mom grew up on this ranch. And then when my grandparents passed on, my parents moved back to the ranch. So it's definitely been in our family for a long time and it's something that I never appreciated as a young person but now as an older person and now as a more simple person in a sense and someone that seeks more nature and peaceful environment I'm so thankful to have this little landing pad like near the Rocky Mountains just to really check out when I come back because sometimes traveling you know being in India or being abroad it's so hectic and then it's such a blessing to have this space in Canada that's also reflective of that peaceful life that I aspire to so I love it it's great oh that's amazing that sounds like it's very different from uh, I grew up in the city of Toronto so when I come back here it's like very concrete and busy and fun. It's it's really fun to be back here, but it's definitely not like a mountain cattle ranch. (laughs) Oh yeah. I totally know the Toronto vibe actually like right when I went sober, I moved back to Toronto. Like I had lived there maybe five years before and I had gone sober. I had really started like jumping into the yogic lifestyle and I decided to move back to Toronto. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God, what have I done? The concrete jungle. It was so intense when you start to live a more subtle life mm-hmm. and your <clears throat> your energy becomes more refined to live in a city like Toronto. <clears throat> excuse me. It's really intense. Yeah, intense is a good word for it. Yeah. So I'm curious to learn more about your journey. So your journey leading up to um, the point you got sober, like what was your childhood, your life like? Yeah, so I mean, I had a pretty like average Canadian upbringing in the sense of like, you know, working class family, I grew up in a small town. Um, But I I always had a sense of like, 
real dissatisfaction. My biological dad passed away when I was really little and I struggled growing up with just feelings of unworthiness and feelings of, you know, trauma that never got dealt with as I got older. And um, as a preteen, I developed really early. I started depending on attention from boys, relationships. I started experimenting with smoking and drinking, like being from a small rural area. Drinking is so normalized. Like by the time I was 15, 16, I was going to parties with like 20 year olds and just getting so drunk and passing out. And that behavior just continued going on into college and university and it led into drugs and just more and more numbing and numbing and numbing and I was so discontented I was working as a wardrobe stylist in Toronto for a long time and like it was like building my my this identification of like who I thought I wanted to be like so far from like the small town that I grew up in I wanted to be this big city girl this fashion girl but like inside I was so unhappy and so dependent on alcohol and drugs and sex and anything that would make me feel that sense of like wholeness and I ended up moving to Australia in 2011 and um I thought oh, this, this is going to make everything better. Like just, you know, leaving everything behind, like mm-hmm. so unhappy, so dissatisfied. But of course I got to Australia and my problems came along with me and my dependency on substances and behaviors became so much more intensified because I was way out of my comfort zone. And I was like struggling with my mental health. And I was just like, snowballing it felt like and I I I knew like something had to change so I actually started going to the Buddhist center in Sydney and I was like I need to learn how to meditate like this is going to help me I was really like grabbing at any straw like you know I was working in bars and my whole life since I was 16 I worked in restaurants and I worked in bars always working in bars and just in that environment and So I started learning how to meditate or trying to, I was like, it wasn't really going very well because you know, when you have substances in your system, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to like be able to sit with yourself. It's too much agitation. So in, and I guess that would have been in 2014, then a friend of mine was living in India and she, I was like expressing to her like, oh my God, I'm so unhappy. Like I just, I need to like, be in an airport where I don't speak the language and I I just wanted to like remove everything and just kind of start over and she's like why don't you come to India I was like oh my god no like I am not gonna go to India I was like such a, a city girl at this point I had like such a fear of going to a place like India but I was also so desperate and I had been practicing yoga for like probably seven or eight years I studied dance in university so it just kind of was like more of a physical thing. I did love yoga, but I didn't have a desire to go to India. I didn't know what an ashram was. I didn't know any of that stuff. But I was like, you know what? I got to go. I just got to switch things up. So I went to India, like way northern India, like so far off the track. And um, I met my friend there and she's like, well, actually, I spend most of my time here in an ashram. I have a teacher we're studying meditation, we're studying yoga, we're studying non-dualistic philosophy, like ancient Indian wisdom. 
And I just got like totally turned on to what was being taught and this like call of like, oh my God, I'm so happy here when I don't have any distractions around me. There is no temptation for alcohol. There is no party lifestyle. It's like you surround yourself with this kind of environment. And then I just saw myself flourish. And even my mom, like right away when I was there, she was like, you're like a different person. Like she could just see it on over like a video call. So I started going to and from India, like every year I would spend like three months, six months there just to be in the ashram. And I would be totally immersed in the yogic lifestyle. And then I would go back to Toronto or go back to Calgary. And eventually I would, you know, be like, oh, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to party. And then, you know, you go for a glass of wine and then it's like a bottle. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like throwing up, you know, it's just like was such extreme that like, And then it made me want to go to India even more. I became so reliant. Like I can only be happy when I'm in India because I was so unable to resist all the pain and the habits that I had cultivated in the West. And then finally in 2018, my best friend and I going back, we, in 2014, we started at non-for-profit raising money for kids with HIV in India and we raised the majority of this money through selling jewelry that we designed in Rajasthan so we were traveling around in the summers with Wanderlust the yoga festival and we were in it like amazing oh yeah it was so fun we were in this 1980 camper van like cruising through the states having the best time ever selling the jewelry raising money for the kids but like we were partying so hard and I was like, like things were not aligning because in one way, my life was like starting to shift into this really beautiful flourishing environment where I felt like so true to who I was meant to be. But in this other way, I was just still had so much darkness and shame Mm -hmm. and embarrassment with, with the drinking, the partying, all of that. And then we were in Chicago. I had like this night out that was like not planned. And I woke up in the morning. It was just like, enough is enough. Like I'm 34 years old and I'm still like waking up like this a day after. And, and, and I thought it's so interesting after so many people be like, oh, you quit drinking. You weren't that bad. You weren't that bad. And I'm like, I was in misery and like just Mm -hmm. so much shame and embarrassment and like regret. And I like, it just something snapped inside of me. I was like, I'm not going to live like this. And I was like, I'll just, you know, I took support. I took resources, but I just, something switched inside of me and I haven't had a drink since. And it was so hard to transition from that person that was a party girl, life of the party to then like, having less friends and not going out on the weekends and like re-identifying in that way. But like, it's so, so worth it because now the things that I was working towards that I saw were possible for me are now like coming to fruition, which they wouldn't be coming to fruition if I was still drinking, if I was still partying, doing drugs and having those dependencies on things that are not elevating my consciousness so that's the long story short you know many sub stories in there but that's so incredible 
Yeah. And so what was, if you had to say it, like what would be the big thing that shifted for you? I would say like this that shifted to go sober, that shifted yeah. since going sober. Well, I mean, both. You could say the shift to go sober and then what's shifted since. Yeah. Two-part question. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, you know, eventually I like, I love the metaphor of the butterfly. Like it's so cliche, but it's so true. Like you feel so compressed, like, like at some point, like something dramatic almost has to shift. And Mm -hmm. I think from what I've seen, like so many people that struggle with addiction um, are inherently spiritual. Cause like, what Mm. is a yogi? It's a seeker. There's a word in Sanskrit called jigyasu. It means the one who seeks freedom, the one who questions. And so many spiritual people, we have this innate questioning. We have this desire for oneness, for unity, for yoga, but there's no outlet. There's no place to put that dissatisfaction in the world. So we grab the lowest hanging fruit, usually from a young age, which it's usually alcohol or drugs or behavioral dependencies. So yeah, I just like that desire inside of me to be truly free and not free because I spent most of my adult life trying to get free on the relative field, like moving cities, moving countries, moving jobs, moving relationships. Like I got to get free. I got to get free. And at some point I was real, I realized nothing external is going to get me free. Getting high and drunk isn't going to get me free. It's relative experiential freedom, but what is true freedom? That's like the inner Mm -hmm. work. And, and I knew I couldn't do that work. Well, like having the fog of substances inside of me, or even like the behavioral fog of dependency on people, relationships. So yeah, it, it was like, that was what inspired the shift. And then that's what's opened up. It was like, it's kind of, you know, in hindsight, so obvious, but at the time you're just like, trapped in your suffering and it's like Mm -hmm. why god (laughs) you know and then you come out of it and like you get through the discomfort of like switching your identity and then and then it's like oh like why i I, why didn't i see that earlier it's so obvious that like so much of the depression and the sadness was because of that and like you know they're intertwined of course there's more healing to be done, but I couldn't start healing myself truly until again, you, I had the, the clarity and the courage and the strength to like deal with what was like, so pressed down. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so amazing. And now tell me about, okay, how did you end up then living? So you're living sometimes in India, partially in Sweden, like, tell me about all of this and how you've ended up in this phase of your life. Yeah, it's been like, really amazing the last eight years and like extra amazing the last four because they've been sober, but it really did start to shift in 2014. Once I went to India, I -hmm. met my teacher. um, And, and I started doing the charity, it's called Tribe of Lambs. So every year I was going back and forth to India to do the work with the kids with HIV, 
to spend time in the ashram, it's like a pilgrimage. Like if I don't go yeah, for incredible. like more than six months, I can like, I feel it in my nervous system. I'm like, oh, I gotta go. Like I gotta just like be in that environment. Um, but in 2019 and like, so I've been doing this for like, it was five years going to and from, I was living back in Toronto, I was living back in Calgary, you know, here and there. And we were still selling the jewelry, doing big festivals mm -hmm. like Wonderlust and stuff. And then in 2019, we decided like, okay, this is becoming like so much work. We were not like getting hardly any personal gain from it. And we thought, okay, we what do we want to do with this project? What we really want to do is support these kids that after the last six years, now eight years, we've watched them grow from elementary now some of them are going into university like these kids we love them and so we decided let's stop selling the jewelry I was like I am finally gonna get to go to India for a whole year I'd wanted to do a yoga teacher training for like six years but I didn't have the time because I was doing the um I was just going back and forth and my teacher he's passed away in 2017 but he was alive so I was like I'm not gonna do a 200 hour when I can go be with a realized being that's like in his 90s so I was just it was the perfect timing 2020 was like my year of sadhana I was like didn't have to sell jewelry anymore I could go be with the kids in India and just like be in the ashram for a year and then um so I did my yoga teacher training in Karnataka and I met my boyfriend there he's Swedish so we started traveling together and then of course we all know what happened in March 2020 so my year of sadhana got stuck short I got locked down in Jaipur and Rajasthan for six wow. weeks six very sweaty weeks and I was like resisting I was like no I'm not going back I'm not going to Canada like this is my year of like spiritual expansion but eventually I did go back and then um spent the summer in Canada and then my boyfriend and I so we just like had this blossoming romance and and he's so amazing you know we're so similar he's a yogi he doesn't drink he's a vegan like he just and he's also a brilliant person and we had this wonderful connection but like we were trapped apart like I couldn't go to Sweden he couldn't come to Canada mm -hmm. so we went to Mexico we traveled Central America for eight months and now in the last two years, we've been, he's been coming to India because I was there for the last eight months. And so we're just kind of like doing this back and forth. But I think slowly it will start to be more time in Sweden, a little less time in India. But it's like, it's kind of like, I don't know, the possibilities of life are so expanded, but I know you can't see that when you're living such a, in a, in a small way. And it's so exciting now to just move forward in life and yes, to have a partner, but more so for myself that like, mm -hmm. I know these possibilities would not have been possible for me if I had stayed stuck in that old way of being, you know? Right. Wow. What an amazing, um, yeah. What an amazing, like inspiring journey and story. Yeah, so it's been been fun it's been exciting so how do you teach yoga now like do you teach um do you still teach do you teach in person do you teach online like where can listeners connect with you and um do you have anything that you offer 
Yes. So I have been teaching online, like right since COVID began and started teaching in person again at the ashram in India. So that was so amazing to go back to teaching in person. And most of the the um, devotees that are living in the ashram are like 65 plus, but they're yoga, they're like yoga practitioners who have been doing yoga for like 40 and 50 years. So mm-hmm. they were actually so sweet to let me teach yoga to them because they're actually just so the pros, but it was very inspiring to see like, okay, if you, you know, live this yogic lifestyle, you're going to age really, really well. Like these people are like, some are 70 and they have bodies and agility of like 50 year olds in the West. So that's incredible. That was a good, good attest to, uh, to the power of yoga. But yeah, I'm teaching now a little bit here in Canada. I've got a big retreat coming up on the Sunshine Coast in British Columbia in September. So I'm not sure when the episode will air, but if it's before then, it's going to be a really magical happening that I'm co-hosting with two other friends that I met in India that studied in the ashram with me. So um, we're doing that. And then in September, I'll start doing online classes again as I head back to Sweden. So yeah, it's like just, you know, one of those things, I think you're in the same boat where we're traveling, but how much of a blessing actually it is to be able to have the online yoga. And Mm -hmm. like my asana teacher is in London. I've, I've been studying with him for a year, just zooming. And it's so cool that we can like have these opportunities to, to practice online together. And, and of course, in person when we can, but definitely online and then I have a few courses available online as well so my style is definitely more traditional based I bring a lot of the Vedic wisdom in that my guru in India has taught a lot of Sanskrit a lot of chanting so that's really what I'm inspired about and also I'm really really inspired about helping yogis or people that are moving on their spiritual path or even a sober path which eventually does have some kind of spiritual element is to building a daily self practice because for me like the first step was meeting my teacher the second step was mm-hmm. going sober and the third step which I'm sure there'll probably be like 8 9 and 10 steps as life goes on but what's been really powerful for me in the last two and a half years is having that daily self-practice and having the courage and the commitment to just do sit with myself every morning. It doesn't necessarily mean asana. It can mean the pranayama. It can mean all the other elements of a yoga practice, but how important it is to do that every day for yourself. And especially when someone's going sober, because it can be such a, uh, like uh, uprooting like discombobulating mm-hmm. experience where you're like I don't even know who I am anymore but to just give yourself the gift the moment like even 15 minutes a day to just sit with yourself and remember that whatever I'm feeling on the sensory level like it's not who I am my true nature is is already perfect and pure and free but we can't see that when we're so like in the external and especially when we're shifting lifestyles which can be so extreme when one goes from sober from maybe not addicted but dependent for sure Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. so true and that was such a big I remember that that the time period in which I first got sober was my first time of actually 
managing to do self practices in the morning. I just remember it being the most beautiful time of my life. Like, cause I was getting up early and I was getting on my yoga mat and practicing. And I had this beautiful view of like the ocean and Abu Dhabi. And it was something that I just could not, even though I had been teaching yoga for a long time and practicing and attending classes, actually honoring that daily morning routine was something that I had not ever been able to cultivate or do for myself. And there's something about the sober phase. It's like, it's like a time for like coming home. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And and it's like, I think too, because when you're in that more drinking party, like experiential phase, like the nervous system is so like high frequency, like external. So it's, it's almost like, it's like, um, you know, like when you shake a jar and like, it takes a minute for like the sediment to settle. Mm. And that's kind of like what the daily practice is, especially when, you know, you're even withdrawing or going through those like intense. Yeah. Like, I love how you said it, the coming home. It's like to have that, it's like a reprieve. It's like, Oh, like here I am, here I am. And then, you know, you might forget it later, but just to know every day, like that it's there for you is really powerful. It's not the easiest habit or thing to bring into your life. But I always tell my students, I do a lot of workshops on cultivating a self-practice because I'm like super passionate about it. But, you know, I always say to my students, like, little by little like you know it's a we don't if you want a quick fix like yoga is not it yo you know like sobriety is the first step yoga is another step but like it's just it it goes on and on and on like the self-inquiry it never ends the yogi is the one who keeps seeking who keeps questioning so you know if one comes to yoga practice thinking like this is going to bring me some result. It's like, hmm, the results will happen um, anyways, but that's not why you come to the practice for the result. We come just for the daily, um, just for that daily coming home, like you said. Yeah. 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 So tell me about your retreat. You mentioned a retreat in BC in September. What is that all about? What does that involve? And if people are interested, how can they find out about it? Yes, we're very excited. This is our our first retreat we're offering together with two of my very wise and brilliant friends. Um, It's yoga, self-care and meditation. So I'll be doing the yoga, Hatha yoga. And then my friend, she lives in Davis, California. She's a really brilliant meditation teacher. And then my other friend, Sarah, who lives full-time in India. She's a graphic designer and art director living there. And She's going to be bringing all these wonderful, masterful self-care practices. It's fully vegan. We've got a beautiful chef coming from Vancouver. It's on the Sunshine Coast, like right on the ocean. And it's just going to be a really beautiful coming together and inspired mostly around satsang because that's what brought us together as friends, as devotees, of, as lovers of oneness. So it'll be a really beautiful experience for people to nourish every part of themselves in a really sweet way like someone had just recently asked me like oh like I it's gonna be hard yoga and it's like it's actually not a yoga retreat it's a whole experience retreat and it really comes from like such a 
place of love and appreciation for our teacher, for what we learned in India from studying there. Like Sarah, my friend, she's been living there for 10 years. The other girl, mm-hmm. Devin, she lived there for five years. So really we've immersed so much of our lives into the study of non-dualistic philosophy and true yoga, which when I went to the ashram, I had only really done studio classes and vinyasa. And suddenly my teacher is like speaking of like true yoga, which like I had no idea about like the Bhagavad Gita or the yogic scriptures, yoga vashisht and, and the like actual depth of Indian philosophy of Vedic philosophy. So that really is. And like satsang is the, the prime pillar in, in most ashrams, which is the daily coming together, the discussion of oneness, the discussion of truth. So that's the spirit of the retreat. So yeah, it's coming up um, September 2nd and all the information is at the selfreunion.com slash retreat. It's called the selfreunion, which is a pretty clever title, I think. <laughs> oh, I love that. I wish I could come. I'm going to be uh, gone from Canada by that point, but that sounds phenomenal. I, um, I was speaking to a retreat leader. I led a retreat in Mexico last month, and I was speaking to another retreat leader while I was there, and she was saying how she makes sure to gift herself a retreat every year as a participant. And I'm like, okay, I need to start doing that. Like I need to start blocking off a Mm. week and being like, this is my retreat week. So, um, as you talked about that, I was like, "Mm, maybe I should go on that one, but I won't be in Canada. So next time I'll keep my eye on the next one you're offering. Okay. But I love that, that piece of advice. It's really Mm -hmm. so true. You know, like I think about that often when I'm talking about like a self-practice, like I just, um, led a workshop and there was a yoga teacher in there and she said like oh like I have the hardest time when I'm teaching yoga to have myself practice but it's the same with retreats like you mm-hmm. give so much it takes so much time and energy you put so much love into creating a retreat making it happen that like oh you're right we should give it back to ourselves as well okay. and like speaking of that like I don't know if you've used um the app any apps for your sobriety but I've been on the app called I am sober have you heard okay. of it is that the one where it is that the one where it ta- takes track of your sober days it takes track of your sober days but it also keeps track of how much money you've saved oh that's amazing as like you know so anytime I'm like oh like you know should I do a yoga retreat then I can just go on that app and see in the last four years I've saved twenty thousand dollars by not drinking and I said I would spend ten dollars a day that's like the amount that it which I thought that's like seventy dollars a week which is like a night out maybe like two bottles of wine Mm -hmm. but like you think about how that adds up like where Mm -hmm. do we put our value Mm -hmm. when someone says to me like uh (laughs) I don't know you just see like it's literally spending I could have spent the last two years spending $20,000, literally poisoning myself, or I could have lived this clear, powerful life, save this money and be able to invest in my well-being at something like a yoga retreat. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like such a shift of perspective, but it's so amazing. You know, if you think about it like that, it's so true. Money motivates some people. So they should check out that app. I am sober and just put in even like, gauge it less 
and you'd be so shocked at how yeah. much money you can save. Yeah. <laughs> I, used, I used to have an app like that. And then I deleted it off my phone. I think because I had a smaller, I had smaller storage and it was like, I was trying to clear my storage. You know what I mean? But I need to put it back on. Cause I have a big phone now. Like I've invested in the big storage. Cause you need it when you're like making videos and everything. And I need to put one of those apps back on and put it down and see, you know, if I quit in 2019, I, I think I was spending more than $10 a day. Um, cause I have to think about like, I mean, I was drinking every night, but I was paying for taxis and paying for, you know, the hangover food. And, um, I was like going out for drinks in Dubai, which is not cheap. And so I bet if I added that all up, it would be like, I, I bet it would be more than 20,000. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, you should. It's crazy. Like you don't think about it. And then it's like, Oh my God. It's so silly. Like, it's so mm-hmm. silly. And I used to always be like, I was making so much money and I was like, how come I don't have any money? And it's like, hello. Or it's like, you know, like, I don't want to budget, put a budget drinking budget into my life. Like it's so such a counterproductive thing. And especially when you're like, I mean, you know, people that are probably listening to this podcast, they're listening because something about sobriety and yoga is speaking to them which means that they're dissatisfied and you know and unhappy and it's like if you're gonna if you know and we're always seeking for solutions to like pacify the mind to absorb the feelings of uneasiness that we feel but it's like the first thing that to do is just to remove that like just to take it out of course it's not easy for everybody it's probably not easy for really anybody but mm-hmm. you know when you can see the little light beacons of light like for some people money does the the money motivator does help and it's like yeah because what is money it's actually not about the money it's like how hard you had to work to get that money to then just blow it to wake up looking like you know I remember like back in the day so like there probably still is atms in the bars you know where you wake up in the morning your bag you find like the atm withdrawal for like a hundred dollars but you have like five bucks in your purse and it's like just so much regret like i spent so much money last night and i've worked so hard and then you have to go to work and like earn that money that you're just literally you should just like light a match under it and like Mm -hmm. it's yeah. yeah It's unbelievable. And having that investment, that money that you can now invest in yourself. I love that way of thinking about it because that's really what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also like the traveling and the exploring and like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard this from so many people that are like, Alex, your lifestyle inspires me so much. I wish I could live in Bali. I wish I could travel the world. And it's like, you literally can, but Mm -hmm like Mm -hmm. money can be such a barrier. And I know it's been a barrier for me in my life. But when you start to put your priority on like living into those possibilities, it's like, you could do it. Come on. Like, you know, but it's hard, I guess, for some people to get that shift of perspective. Yeah, totally. So this has been so amazing. I love chatting with you and hearing your story. And I'm just wondering to, for the last question, if you had any wisdom or any advice for anyone that is beginning a sober journey, what would you say? I would definitely say, like I had just mentioned a little bit earlier about little by little, um, Mm -hmm. 
I personally, as a yogi, as a sober person, I have a tendency to really get stuck in. I'm a good yogi. I'm a bad yogi. I'm I'm right. I'm wrong. But like, actually, like it's all happening. If we just keep putting our attention on those little points of light and keep surrounding ourselves, like that's something that's really big for me as well, too, is the community, the people that you put yourself around. My asana teacher in London, he's also sober for 25 years. And um, he said to me once, he's like, He's like, it became really easy once I stopped DJing and hanging out with heroin addicts and started hanging out with yoga teachers that my Mm -hmm. life started gradually Mm -hmm. moving towards that. So even if someone's still stuck in the dependency on alcohol, which like I was for a long time, but I still kept going to yoga studios studios and just keep just keep connecting with people like you and you know surrounding yourself with those people that you can aspire to and eventually you know life like your mind your habits they'll catch up with you because life is supporting life so just keep going little by little and my teacher also says one thing he says nothing wrong is happening it's all divinity unfolding so Mm -hmm. just remembering that that you just keep taking the steps, keep taking the steps, keep taking the steps, and it'll work out if you keep your heart tuned into that. Yeah, oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Bobby. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know you and hearing your story and, and the work you're doing in yoga. It just sounds incredible. And I look forward to staying connected and following along with, with your journey. Yes, I've loved it as well. And I also just wanted to say as well, I have also recently started a podcast. It's called The Curious Yogi. So you could pop that in the notes as well. And it's just conversations with spiritual seekers and and how people have got onto a spiritual path and how those curious yogis stay there. So that might be of interest to your listeners as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll put it as a link in the notes and um, I'll definitely check it out as well. Okay. Thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I love what you're doing. So it's important. Thank you so much. Hi friend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sober Yoga Girl podcast. This community wouldn't exist without you here. So thank you. It would be massively helpful if you could subscribe, leave a review and share this podcast so it can reach more people. If we haven't met yet in real life, please come get your one week free trial of the Sober Girls Yoga membership and see what we're all about. Sending you love and light wherever you are in the world.